Chapter 8 Part 1 The slab swung shut, leaving her in earthy dark. A man? Out in this barren place? Surely not. What then? An hawker stump, judging from a fern hole? The search party thudded down the bank above her. Did the men hear how hollow was their tread? Pressing back as far as the space allowed, Anhilda unstrapped the anuk, set it down, and pulled her knife. Not an hawker. A man. However unlikely it seemed. Face dark cast and beardless. A man who had seen her scramble down the bank and dodge under the waterfall. Who had watched her scattering the balakor and scrabbling at the slab. What was he doing out here? And what would he say to La? There came a sudden fierce commotion, loud baying and shouts, and Hilda edged forward and put her ear to the slab. At a sharp command, the racket cut, leaving such quiet that Anhilda could hear a dahi feet scratching the frozen grasses. Ingatla's harsh call above the water's rush. I can see no harm. No harm? No harm, you say? The stranger calling from the pool's far side. And Hilda frowned. Unfamiliar voice. Foreign accent, broad, rounded, with rolling R's, and even in outrage, lacking the stridency of village cant. But she recognized that accent well, and with misgiving. Where is she? The headman hadn't moved. A murmur while La dispatched Stugar and Vond around the pool. The stranger called again. This she? What has she done? Nay, you'll answer me. Bring him. La commanded. There's his star, someone said. Guna, through the trees. Hmm. She can't be by, or the Adahi would know it. But he surely saw something. Horan Gunnar, go with Horan Baidra and search about. More boots crunched away around the pool's edge. An Adahi, scratching at the slab, yapped suddenly, starting and held back. And yet neither can she be far, La went on. 
for the Adai brought us here. What do you say, Oren Pahar? I agree, Oren Ra, unless... The handler paused, then went on thoughtfully. Unless they got confused and took up the man's scent instead. La grunted. You think? Hush, he's here. The headman raised his voice. Now, state your name and business, or I loose this beast again. And Hilda stood shocked. La had turned an Adahi on the stranger. The stranger's voice came again, now only an arm's length from her. I am Brokan of Cond, cousin to Grer of the Gurdon clan. And Hilda nodded grimly. She'd judged right then. This was indeed a peddler. A man who lived on his wits by bartering goods for profit. Grer comes at Demiel's rising. What brings you at its winter arc? Nay, I could ask that of you, the man snapped back. A short silence, then. We camp beyond the rim. My son has come down with the spotted fever. Your scorder. The spotted fever. A deadly affliction and highly contagious. Low voices now, fast stilled. La spoke up. Our escorter is the one we seek. Uh, perhaps we can deal. Uh, tell me, did you pass anyone along the way? And Hilda's fingers tightened on her knife hilt. I passed no one. What has your scorder done? That's none of your affair. You can't help us. We can't help you. Get you gone. Unless you like the feel of fangs. Another silence, while water tumbled overhead. Then the peddler's voice came, chilling by its very quiet. I'll go in my own good time. After I've washed off this blood, curtain blood for which you'll render payment, good day. Good day. And Hilda could not help but smile. Good day to Ingatlar. Beyond the waterfall came the sound of energetic splashing from the pool. Boots thudded above her in retreat. The trekking brace clanked against the dahi's flanks. A scattering of pebbles fell about her ears, then quiet. And Hilda let up her grip on the knife handle. A rare man, that peddler. Bold. And singularly compassionate. Was he badly hurt? She set her shoulder to the slab and pushed. It wouldn't budge. 
something pressed against it from the other side, offering resistance. Be still, the peddler warned softly. They're all over the place. Listen, I shall pretend to go, but I'll be back when all is clear. And Hilda let out a breath. Saved? But for how long? She took quick stock of her situation and found no comfort there. Every moment wasted in that bolt hole lessened the chances of reaching the winter shelter, nay, of even finding it. Wind gusted past the slab, a bad sign. She retreated within herself a little way, appealing to the choir for an omen, some small token to guide her through her apparent misfortunes. For all her planning, timing had been crucial, the meshing of events beyond her control, the day of the birthing and the coming of the snows. Everything had depended on their occurring at the proper time. But despite her prayers, the child had come late, the snows early. Now the going would be hard on foot, visibility close to zero, and her landmarks buried. Add to that the vendmen. La would surely swear in a party of four. Four men, picked by him and sworn in by the council, to ride out and hunt her to the death barred from home until they had fulfilled their vow. She closed her eyes. She could not hope to beat such odds. Oh, to have come thus far. After all her preparation, to end up in this hole against all wish and expectation, and yet it felt strangely right to be there, in that dead space, even though things had stacked so high against her, as though, somehow, these very misfortunes were part of the plan. Still holding the knife, she turned in the darkness to the Anuk. Courage! she urged herself. She'd done what she could. Now she must with trust await further sign, for it was not yet over. The qua in its great wisdom and mercy would not, could not end it here. You can come out now. And Hilda emerged warily under flying snow. Why? She couldn't even see across the pool now. 
The peddler stood a mere arm's length away, his hand upon the slab. She straightened unconsciously. Tall as she was, she scarcely reached his shoulder, and he was lean almost to gaunt. His weathered face was strong, high sharp cheekbones, curved beak nose, under thick black brows, his light grey eyes reflected silver off the snow. Those eyes were fixed on her, appraising her as she was him, missing nothing. Snowflakes, feathering his head and sticking to his shoulders, had melted, matching the grizzled hair into a cap of beaded ice. Peddler? Great Auxia, more like. Snow Lord, ruler of the air, albeit a wounded one. Shiny blood streamed from his legging, staining the snow. The eyes narrowed. Well, Skorda, will you put up that blade, or do you mean to use it? She slipped the knife back up her sleeve and followed him out from under the waterfall. As she'd thought, he was clean-shaven. Strange to see a man thus. All the fend men wore beards, and so did Greer when he came. The mouth was wide but firm and not above snapping out Blah's good day. You didn't tell them. Do I look a fool? He who kills the shilling goes naked, as they say. They had no intention of lending you. As good as dead, your headman said. A live scorder in the hole is a far more use to me then a dead one sprung, wouldn't you say? I reckoned you'd offer a better deal. Deal? She came alert. These peddlers and their deals. Glad as she always was to see Greer each spring, she always had to stay sharp. Deal? Your life... For your services. Oh, so much for compassion. But he had saved her. She couldn't deny it. She and the child were unscathed, which was more than he was. Here, let's see that leg. Your fend men will be back. Not for a while. She squatted and unwrapped the rough brown bindings from ankle to knee. Those bindings had saved his leg. Even so, Adahi Fangs had rent them in half a dozen places. She found ugly lacerations to the calf and a puncture wound already swelling around the edges. She lightly touched the proud flesh, felt the heat 
the pulsing, and caught his stifled reaction. It badly needed the healing touch, but there wasn't time. She must do something more drastic, or the man might still lose the limb. Here, squat. Stick your leg down there a moment. The water will cleanse it. Numb it, too. Without hesitation, the peddler swung his foot into the pool, while she took from under her doisham a small leather bottle. Drink. Not too much too fast, I warn you. He swallowed, coughed, turned red. The Dryak woman! What is this? A dram of Demiel, stored up against a snowy day. Taking a swallow herself, she resealed the flask. On a thought, she took out Suthrop. Here, hold this. He eyed the little brown pebble doubtfully. What is it? She thrust it at him in irritation. What does it look like? He made no move to take it. What's it for? To ease the pain. He pushed it away. Thanks, but your sun water's enough. Let's get on. And you will. Pressing her mouth, and Hilda returned Suthro to her pocket. In another moment, the man might wish for that stone again to bite on. She took out Talik to numb the wound. We can't wait for it to take complete hold. I must cut now. Do it. I'll not hold it against you. Bracing her mind against his pain, she took out her knife, cleansed it with Janubar the perjurer, then cut two deep slits crosswise over the wound, letting blood in spurts. The Dryak, he said through his teeth. After a moment, she pressed it with a clean cloth and applied Salic, healer's balm. Then she wrapped the leg firmly with her small store of fresh bindings, noting with satisfaction that no blood leaked through. Stand up. How does it feel? He stood, flexed his leg, tried his weight on it. Good as new, he said, though she knew it still must hurt. He smiled suddenly, an upsided smile that cut a fold down his left cheek. Cousin Grer told you well. I'd better mind my step. He helped her up. She stood stiffly, conscious of his hand on her arm. Just what had Cousin Grer said of her, that this man must mind his step? That Grer! She almost smiled. Such charm these road merchants possessed. For all her reserve, what a joy to see that one each spring. 
He'd shared many a glass of this same liquid sun power at her hearth, and news of the outside world, much exaggerated, she was sure. She disengaged herself, adjusted her doishan, the feel of Brokamp's fingers still on her. There, peddler, your leg should heal, and you keep it clean. And may the winds bear you well. She turned away. Wait, Skorda, what about our bargain? And Hilda turned back. For my deliverance have I paid you in full. I have other business now of mine own. She looked up. The sky was full. One hundred heartbeats from this spot, and she'd be utterly lost. Please, my son. His plea went to her healer's heart. A dying boy, the man's own child. She thought of the newborn lying safely in the anuk, thanks to him. She looked up into his face. Was she meant to take her way with this man? Was he to be her salvation and the child's? If not he, then who or what would save them from Fendroth and the elements? But to go beyond the ring. According to the Tazru, none had ventured that way since their coming into this place. Ever since Gar's edict that the Obagon be hunted down and destroyed, an edict still in force this day, the Fend folk had kept to that wild and barren refuge, hiding the blood taint, the shame that threatened their very survival. Say she crossed the rim with Brokan, tended his son, and then went her way. Where in the wide world would she go? How would she live and not risk bringing the child to light? She shook her head. I cannot go with you. Get him home to an apothecary. He looked utterly shocked. He can't move. I thought, Gray said... His face tightened. Perhaps he didn't tell you so rightly after all. She flushed. I have trouble. I would attach myself to no one at this time. Brokan shot her a quick look from under his brows. Nobly said. I admire your sentiment. Was he mocking her? Come with me and I'll protect you from them for as long as you wish. He protect her from the vengeance of the Fend. Nay, from imperial wrath itself, should she ever be discovered. She considered him curiously, and his grandiose offer of salvation. 
Where? she warned herself, fighting the pull of him. These men of the road talked big, did little when it suited them. He needed her help and would promise anything to get it. He who'd failed to save his own leg from an adahi, what could he possibly do for her? Although he did have a thaw. On that, she might yet outrun, if not the snows, at least those men who jolly come after her. From there, well, she leave that to the quarry. How far is your son from here? A day's ride only. Maybe a little more with the two of us on the one beast, he admitted. I came double saddle, hearing that you women of the Fend cannot ride. Do not ride, she corrected him. It is forbidden us. I see. So much is forbidden you, as I understand. Is that why they're after you? Have you broken one of their precious precepts? For a moment he was puzzled. Then she realized. You mock me. Not you, Scorder. Offend men. Cousin Greer has told me much of them. What did you do? Walk the wrong side of the street. Get up a little late. She bit her lip, for a second time, almost inclined to smile. That's better, he said. Now, shall you transgress more and ride with me? And Hilda hesitated. She was about to make a momentous decision, one from which there would be no turning back. Glancing behind, she thought of men coming swiftly on Thars. Wait, I'll get my Anuk. Nay, he said, let me. He made to go past her under the waterfall, and Hilda blocked his way. I am well able, she said. Do you save time and bring your beast? She watched the peddler limp away around the far side of the pool, then slipped back into the bolt hole, where in the dimness behind the open slab she squatted and reached for the anuk. She fumbled the hasty knots, slid out the child's bound form, and set it in her lap. Then, taking the precious Troya from the pocket at her hip, she anointed the cicatrice sparingly, releasing sharp, sweet fragrance into that earthy space. By rights, her grandchild's forehead should lie exposed to Demiel's light for full two spaces each day. But failing that, the delicate skin would absorb this passable substitute. Life-giving soul, whose secret she had discovered in the ancient writings, 
and which she had long since transcribed onto her tajru. She waited a moment, then, with clumsy fingers, replaced the jar lid, stowed it away, and bound the head again. The little body felt bonny enough, and of a good weight. Boy or girl? No time to check. Dormant? Or dead? She squeezed one arm gently. No stiffness. That was a good sign. But then that wouldn't show yet. Another few spaces of the sun, and she'd know. How did these babes live so long with scarcely breath or sustenance save that of sun or sol? These babes. Had not she herself been one? She tried to imagine her own parents' shock and horror as she slipped into the light of day. Her mother's nerve and Scorda's skill with the knife had saved them all. And Hilda lightly traced her brow. No scar, not a hint of one. Such consummate skill under desperate conditions. She closed her eyes. Those two must have loved her so dearly. Many times Anhilda had asked her mother how it had been, but she'd never spoken of it. Pity. There was so much she should know to help this child, who she was determined to rear whole, untouched by any blade. The binding done, she restored the child to the Anuk, secured it with great effort. Later, when she had better use of her hands, she'd seal the flap properly against idle fingers and curious minds. She shouldered the Anuk, wincing at new tender spots, and emerged to find Brokan waiting. He helped her push the stone back into place, then turned to the thaw. Here, he reached out a hand. Let me have that thing. I'll hang it on the pommel. No, she said, recoiling. Thank you. I'll handle it myself, she added, to soften her response. Stupid to react so. More of that and he surely guessed that she had something in there to hide. He shrugged, said shortly, And you will. Let's have you up. She suffered him to set her feet on the mounting rod and hoist her onto the rear saddle. It was difficult, and she awkward in her long skirts. The thick leather creaking under her she let Brokan show her how to sit sidewise and twist around to hold him about the middle. Back muscles already sorely put upon, screamed that added insult. They moved off, slowly at first, to get her used to the thaw's gate. She shut her eyes and clenched her jaw. 
how to endure this. And yet it was better than freezing to death back in that icy bottle. And the farther they got from the tent, the safer her grandchild would be.